This episode was made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 160 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week, with the help of the Colored Pages Book Club podcast, we discuss Cinderella. Our guests this week are Marcy and Akko from the Colored Pages Book Club podcast, a podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by authors from colorful backgrounds. Welcome to the show. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for having us. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. You did our intro quite well. I was like, oh, oh, yes, we are. We do write about fiction, fantasy, and magical realism. I was like, I was like oh, is that us? Like being introduced? I was like, oh, are we being introduced? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, you guys made it easy. I went and listened to the podcast, and it was right there in the intro. And I said, oh, there we go. That's that's the perfect way to introduce them. Covering a lot of good stuff over there. Some authors I'm familiar with. Uh, N.K. Jemison taught a class mm-hmm. one time at Seton Hill that when I was there. Are um, you serious? I, uh, yeah, Nisi Shaw was one of my instructors at Viable Paradise. So I'm seeing a lot of great authors on there. A lot more that wow. I want to get to, and I'm I'm really hoping that they will adapt some stuff by by some of these authors so that we can mm. cover them on this podcast. Mm, um, so absolutely. definitely check out the Colored Pages Book Club podcast because there's a lot of great stuff on there. Um, but we had you on, and you suggested Rogers and Hammerstein's version of Cinderella, and I just wanted to ask you both why you chose this version of Cinderella to talk about. Yeah, so. One, it was one of the ones I watched as a child, one of the first ones. And obviously, I'm, well, I guess not obviously because it's a podcast, but I'm a black woman. So when I was a kid, (laughs) seeing Brandy with like braids and everything and Whitney Houston, and it's just such a diverse cast of people. It's a blind casted film. So it's just completely hodgepodge of different types of people. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of fun and nice and i think revolutionary to just be like okay it's a fantasy book like cinderella is not real so why can't all why can't racism not exist in this world and like everyone just does what they want (laughs) and everybody's happy like if fantasy can be anything why do we always restrain it when it comes to things like race or lgbtqia communities and such so and also i mean Whitney Houston. Right. Like, I don't know what else to say about that. So just, (laughs) and then weirdly, it's not anywhere. It's like hard to find and, Mm -hmm. and get to. Um, So yeah, I I loved, I loved the movie as a kid and I was like, okay, let's, you know, I hope the kids can know it exists. So yeah. Yeah. And thank you for that, Akko. And uh, just one more thing I would add is just that, so for me personally, it's interesting because I, so I've I've always been familiar with this movie, but honestly, watching it, I'm not sure if I actually sat down and watched it beginning to end at any point in my life prior to this. Um, like it was one of those movies that yeah, like it was very famous for those reasons, and like I was was aware of it, but actually sitting down and watching it as like an adult, I'm like, ooh, wow. Um, if I, what what was happening in childhood? Why did I not <laughs> see all of this <laughs> in sequence? <laughs> um. So yeah, so that was so um when Akko recommended it, I was like, Oh yes, absolutely we absolutely have to watch this. So so yeah. Yeah, and I had never seen this movie. Uh and and it was 
it was an experience, you know, this is, I'll admit, this is not the kind of film I watch these days, you know, like a, mm-hmm. like a musical, obviously intended for a younger audience. Um, I'm also not a big fan of musicals in general. Um, although, you know, there are, there are some notable exceptions to that. Um, but this, this really struck me as being just warm, colorful, and inviting in a way that, that was mm-hmm. really nice in 2020. Like I felt comforted by this movie watching it. Absolutely. Uh, so that was cool. <laughs> yeah, it felt to me like something that was made much more recently than it was. And I was surprised because I, I think I was a, a, aware of this film. I think it was on TV, um, but I had never seen it. With the cast that was involved, I was just surprised that it kind of didn't have more acclaim because I guess I guess coming into the movie, I didn't know what to expect. And the fact that it really did play out like theater, like it, it's, yeah. it's so mm-hmm. much more than just like... Uh, a typical TV movie in my eyes now, now that I've seen it and having someone like Whitney Houston on board. And I was reading that, that she originally was, was to be in like the titular Cinderella role. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I guess the, the production got bogged down at some point and then she handpicked Brandy and was like, I want Brandy to be Cinderella. And -hmm. then Brandy said she would, she refused to do it unless her idol, Whitney Houston played the fairy godmother. So, um, I mean, just an amazing cast and, and, I really appreciated it for the fact that it was like an out and out musical and it felt like theater musical. It didn't necessarily mm-hmm. feel like a movie musical or a right. TV musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the choreography is a step. Like, I, that's something I didn't appreciate yes. as a kid. The choreography is a step. Even the scene with like the cake when they're like bumbling through the streets. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, oh, wow. Everybody here, <laughs> we were like, they took, you know, advanced ballet. This is not beginner's ballet. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> they were on point. <laughs> It, because it was a Disney film, I was also thinking about how it was almost like a live performance at Disney. Like if you were seeing one ah. of their live shows mm. or something like that, it kind of reminded me of that. That's true. I had that feel. So we are going to talk a lot more about the film in a little bit. But since this is the Ink to Film podcast, what we do is we like to go back to the source. And mm-hmm. uh, in research, it was kind of difficult to figure out what the source of Cinderella is. It looks like there is some dispute and it's not really known where this story comes from. It's quite old. So Cinderella or the Little Glass Slipper is a folk tale about unjust oppression and a triumphant reward. Thousands of variants are known throughout the world. The protagonist is a young woman living in forsaken circumstances that are suddenly changed to a remarkable fortune. The story of Rhodopis, originating somewhere between 7 BC and AD 23, about a Greek slave girl who marries the king of Egypt, is usually considered to be the earliest known variant of the Cinderella story. The first literary European version of the story was published in Italy uh, by Guillaume Battista Basile in 1634. The version that is now most widely known in the English-speaking world was published in French by Charles Perrault in 1697. Another version was later published by the Brothers Grimm in their folktale collection, The Grimm's Fairy Tales, in 1812. So we read both the uh, Charles Perrault and the Brothers Grimm's versions, since those Mm -hmm. are sort of the literary, um, first literary versions of these that people most widely know about. Um, Charles Perrault, one of the initiators of the literary fairy tale genre, and he published such tales in 1695 under the name of his son, which became later known under the subtitle of The Tales of Mother Goose. Perrault's publication marks the first authenticated starting point for the Mother Goose stories. So, this is Mother Goose, which I didn't know until I did research. Huh. Huh. <laughs> well, I'll be. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I had a Mother Goose uh, book growing up. I remember the cover. I remember being read to me by my mother. And I 
assumed it was written by a woman. Um, not, I guess not the case, but it's actually like a, a fictional character who, who is sort of re- recounting these tales. And much like Brothers Grimm, it seems to be a bunch of sort of t- tales collected from, from the people of the time. Um, mm. A lot of them don't have known origins. And in that first version that he published, it included The, Sleep- the Sleeping Beauty, Little Red Riding Hood, Bluebeard, huh. The Master Cat or Puss in Boots, Diamonds and Toads, Cinderella, Ricket and the Tuft, and Hoppo My Thumb, which I don't know half of these, but um, yeah, yeah me neither. a bunch <laughs> of famous ones, Sleeping Beauty, <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood. Interesting. And you said Mother Goose was like a collection. Like, was it like a literal goose reading the tales of... Yeah, I think there was a picture of a goose on the cover, but I might be wrong. Ah, okay. Because Mother <laughs> Goose is, again, it's like kind of, yeah, it's just one of those like cultural like things where, that you're like aware of. But I was like, I never yeah. actually knew or read that. Like, I'm like, what, is, like, what actually is that? <laughs> I feel like my book versions had a goose, but like she had like a nightcap and glasses and she was clearly, mm-hmm. you know, a grandmother. Um, <laughs> but she was also a goose. So yeah, grandmotherly goose. Also, gooses are mean. I'm I'm sorry, geese. <laughs> geese are mean. So I don't know who this mother goose is, but. Uh, so about the mother goose, this mother goose has never been identified as a person, but used to refer to a popular and rural storytelling traditions and proverbial phrases over time. These tales based on European popular tradition and often translated from originals by Brothers Grimm became very popular in France. Yeah, of all his abundant literary production in verse and prose, these stories for children are the only works that are still read today, and he is often credited as the founder of the modern fairy tale genre. And something that Luke and I didn't realize until, you know, we actually covered it was we thought that the Brothers Grimm story was more the one that had been adapted, but it seems to me that the the other French story is the one that's kind of the the basis for a lot of the mm. story. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know why, why that was that we, that we thought that, but I thought that too, actually. Yeah. And it's cool to see, um, this story is so it's like, you know, at this point, very, very old in comparison to a lot of things that we cover on the podcast and to yeah. see like how the through lines are still there for most of the adaptations that everyone's familiar with are really interesting to me. So in this version by Charles Perrault, let's get into what happens. Um, this one, I was actually surprised it was like. All of the major points are there in this, yeah. this older version, right? Like the pumpkin getting transformed. There's a there's a fairy godmother who, which by the way, I thought was hilarious. The way they introduced the Harry, the, the, sorry, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a Harry godmother. I have a Harry godmother as well. It's also to care to be Harry. That's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the way that they introduce the fairy godmother is they just say. Uh, then the godmother of hers, who was a fairy, said, right. <laughs> that's, it. that's all the explanation you get. <laughs> She's a fairy. <laughs> Not mentioned at any point before. Just yep. It's just there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it definitely, it was interesting because I'm not sure if in the, I guess, like, original Disney animated version, the ball was one day or two. But that was something that I also thought yeah. was interesting, that it was like a two-day event. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like it, it did read much more like the like the adaptation I was used to. If anything, the Brothers Grimm one was the one where I was like, oh, there's a lot of stuff that's yeah. like super different. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like that's why people know it, right? Like, because that's the thing I knew about Brothers Grimm versions is it's like, oh, they're all way darker than the the tales you've heard from Disney. Mm-hmm. You know, so they have this reputation. Right. Also, the fathers are in both versions are still alive, and for some reason that mm. rubbed me the wrong way because I was like, same. <laughs> 
Yeah, because, you know, in the one we know, the father's dead. And you're like, oh, okay, that's why she has no one to protect her. Because, you know, everyone who's... Well, not that you can't protect your child if you're a stepmother. You obviously can, mm-hmm. since stepmothers aren't always evil. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, but I was like, okay, it makes sense. You know, her father's gone. But then these stories, her father was there. And I was like, okay, sir, do you want to, I don't know, <laughs> not dress your child up in wax? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, like, go along with the shenanigans? Like, are you serious? Right. Like, you're really just going to sit here and just, like... Yeah dog out your daughter like this like there's a line about him being like very controlled by 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 his wife or something which it seems like there's a lot of like troubling social stuff going on in these stories but i mean i guess that's what you're you should expect from something written in this era um Mm -hmm. but yeah it was very like you know it, it seems like the 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 heart of the drama is because they don't have this sort of intact family um Mm -hmm. it's like a stepmother and stepsisters how weird of course they're evil (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i didn't well i did not even make that connection huh yeah it seems like they're trying to to get those like christian values in there right yeah while Mm. i was reading the story i was really thinking about like what 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 was the purpose of the story what's the moral of the story and Mm. uh you know i was i was finding it tough to come to like a conclusion to say like okay this is this is the clear moral of the story and then uh in the i don't i don't know if you guys read the same link or the same source that that we read but at the end there was a moral (laughs) (laughs) yeah that gave us the moral and Mm. i was like these morals kind of suck still. Yeah. Even I think after those were even... written in the original version. Like it, it, I yeah. think that was like Charles Perrault's morals, I think were, were written into the book. Um, that's my assumption. I'm going to really quickly read one of the morals. This is the mm-hmm. second moral they give. Without doubt, it is a great advantage to have intelligence, courage, good breeding, and common sense. These and similar talents come only from heaven, and it is good to have them. However, even these may fail to bring you success without the blessing of a godfather or a godmother. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's a moral. I feel like that's just interesting moral. <laughs> right. A social commentary. It wasn't the other one something like, oh, like beauty is like super, super important, but like, you know, yes. you need to be like, what was it? Like graceful and like forgiving or something yeah. to that effect. Um because yeah, at the end of this story, like and, and we'll we'll talk about the Brothers Grimm version, but like Cinderella basically forgave her stepsisters and even like paired mm-hmm. them up, like got them like, yeah. <laughs> like set yeah. them up with like I guess royal men from the court. Um, which to me kind of gave me like, did y'all ever read that story, um, The Little Red Hen? Growing up, oh, it sounds yes. familiar. What the isn't she making bread or something? Yes. Okay, so just yeah. super quick synopsis. Also, spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> um, so like, basically, there's like a hen that like she's like. So there are different versions where, like, she's either making bread or making pizza, but basically along the way, you know, she needs help with, like, you know, the process. And so she has these... Uh, also, can I curse on this podcast or are y'all like... Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so she has these, like, fake-ass friends. There's, like, a cat and, like, all those other people. And basically at different points, she's like, hey, y'all, can y'all, like, I don't know, help me, like, gather herbs and whatever, whatever. And they're like, oh... <laughs> I'm just so busy. I just have no time. I'm I'm sorry, little (laughs) Ray. I just, I just can't. And so she has to like do all of this. She makes hella pizza. She does. And then at the end, those same fake ass friends were the first ones in line who were like, oh my God, oh, can we get a slice? And it's just like, but y'all are so, y'all literally did not help at all. Like she actually needed it. But then she was like, oh no, it's fine. Like y'all can have some, like it's all good, Mm. whatever, whatever. Um, And she just like forgave them and like remained friends with them. And I'm like, I'm not sure if this is the best lesson these are clearly not (laughs) healthy relationships you should not you should i mean snip snip you should be cutting these people off (laughs) right what is this i wonder i wonder if the brothers grim reaction to this story was that just that like these people don't deserve to be to be you know treated gracefully right it's, it's not to say that like you know 
they're irredeemable, but I think it's just like there needs to be kind of a just like a demonstration that, you know, people are willing to change their behavior or, you know, like change in some capacity. It's not like you can just be like, oh, sorry. And then like act the same way and then, you know, just be expected to be forgiven, like, you know, super quickly. So, yeah. yeah. So I was kind of like, that's interesting. It's funny because it reminds me of something I was reading in in the Charles Perrault like bio stuff. Is he, he he was rewriting these stories to be modern and more progressive for the time, which I thought was hilarious. Mm, uh, <laughs> but it was like he felt like the church and the government should be more progressive, so he wanted to in, inject these stories with more progressive values, um, which just shows you where we were at in the 1600s. Mm. <laughs> but also, I feel like. Um... I don't know if I, I'm not like a religious studies major or anything like that, but I'm fairly sure the church was like pretty punitive back in the day. And like, mm-hmm. so maybe, he maybe was, that was the progressive element. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he was like, mm. we sure are awful. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could try to be a little bit nicer. But Oh, I don't know if you cut, there was a line in here, which really struck me. It, it was being thus decked out. Yes, I also noticed that. I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> like decked out? And then it appeared again in the Brothers Grimm version. There you go. The phrase decked out. That's uh, so Describing what someone was wearing. Um, I had no idea that phrase was that old. Yeah. I thought it was like, yeah, yeah, I just thought it was like modern slang. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Being thus decked out. Come on, I went to the club. Decked out. <laughs> right. It's like Shakespeare Shakespeare coming up with like all kinds of things that we still use today that people don't yeah. even realize, you know? It's wow. pretty, that's, that's true. actually wild. <laughs> Let's bring all sorts of things back. Let's bring it back thus. Why not? Right. Yeah, why yeah. not? Also, I will say, okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the story, um, so I guess like in the, one of the differences is that, you know, the prince like finds Cinderella's slipper, like comes over to her house and like basically when Cinderella, <laughs> when she tried on the slipper, like she tried to act like, oh, like, let's see if it'll fit. And she, it of course did. And then she like she popped out the other one. She was like, oh, let me just put on this other one real quick. And I was like, I love a good reveal. I love a good yeah. gag. Like I was just like so here for it. Like she was like, oh, I actually have I actually have the pair. I actually have both. So, um, yeah. Yeah, she I'll was a little shady. She was a little shady yeah. in um, the Kristoff one. I was like, okay, there's a through line here. Because she's a little shady in the Brandy Cinderella as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> is this this is the version where the uh, the the clothes still revert at midnight, right? Like that that was said. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. That she had to, she had to get yes. out by midnight before yes. everything reverts. So mm-hmm. I, I've never understood in these stories why the slippers don't revert. And the only one where I guess that was kind of explained was the Brothers Grimm version oh, because wow. she, I think she like buries her dress after the, after she it's given to her by the birds or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm always like, why does everything else go back and get the slipper is still there? That is know. a really good. I actually yeah. have never thought about that. I never saw that plot <laughs> hole. Wow. Huh. Yeah, I, just magic, I guess, and and maybe that you know it was meant to be. I guess. I guess. I mean, when you have a godmother, but they're also a fairy, like. <laughs> <laughs> right like, <laughs> there's like a lot of other things going on i love that that's uh that's sort of lampshaded in the in the the movie version where jason alexander uh has some line where he's like and who dances in a glass <laughs> slipper <You know? laughs> it's like finally someone said it <laughs> right all right so let's talk about the brothers grim version which uh you know living up to the name is a lot grimmer um and and darker and more german and um, oh gosh <laughs> uh i think everybody uh is familiar with the brothers grim being sort of the darker versions of these tales that holds true here um this is one of the ones i had heard of before about the stepsisters like mutilating their feet to fit in the shoe yeah um, that's like the one thing i knew about it going in and it's definitely pretty dark 
Yeah, I did not know about the mutilating the feet. <laughs> no, you didn't? Nice. No. <laughs> James was in for a surprise on page two. Yeah. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> the mother was like, cut off your toes. And I was like, holy shit, why? Right. She was yep. like, you all need to even, you know, be on the floor like that. And I'm like, I mean, but You like, might. You might? Like, right. <laughs> it's like, do you know that? Like, I don't think you know that. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. This one, so. Like like y'all said, I mean, it was way more violent. Didn't they also like, the, okay, so instead of there being a fairy godmother, there were like, was it one bird or like multiple birds? I think it was, I think two it was birds. multiple yeah. okay. pigeons and what, yeah, I don't know, unclear. Yeah, so she, so I guess one thing that I kind of liked in this one was that like um, Cinderella's late mother was like kind of more relevant throughout the story. Like she would go to her mm. mother's grave and like pray and that's where she found like these magical birds that like gave her these like garments and stuff. Um but yeah, the birds at the end were like pretty awful. Like after Cinderella got married, yeah. they like plucked out her stepsister's eyes. And I was like, mm. oh my God, like that is actually <laughs> yeah. awful. And also I was like, okay, so let us be clear. So there's still, you know, an evil stepmother. Like her dad, again, is still there, still being right, awful. Right. And yet this, like the stepsisters are the only ones who seem to receive any sort of punishment. Right. Everyone else is just sort mm. of like off the hook, I guess. And I was like, that's not explained. That's weird but um, yeah. yeah i feel like in the other i noticed that too in the other version it was like the mom the stepmoms was more to blame than the stepchildren which i guess you're like okay then maybe it makes sense for her to like help them out maybe she like realized they were both under an abusive parent who pitted them against each other i'm reading too much into it and then <laughs> <laughs> never <laughs> but in the grim grim fairy tale you're like right like the father and the stepmom just completely off the hook also i do feel like there might be a healthy medium both between like hooking your moderately terrible step siblings up with like the court and raising their status and like plucking out their eyes, like maybe just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely there's absolutely somewhere in the middle. Fair. <laughs> I mean, it's literal eye for an eye, right? I, I guess that's what they're going for. Uh, one of the one of the scenes that I remembered was the uh, the father went off to get like dresses or something in town, and Cinderella asked for like a branch, whatever yeah. branch hits you on the head as you come back in or whatever. Um, and I, honestly, that did a lot for me for Cinderella's character in this story, mm. because I'm like, damn, she just wanted a branch to plant a tree that would like be there for her mom and stuff. And I was like, yeah. this is dope. And then it made sense for like eventually the powers of praying there and the, and the animals and everything like right there at the tree. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually kind of dug that from this story. Yeah, almost a little pagan, right? Like she's planting this branch, she's crying on it and watering it with her tears. And then it grows mm. into a magnificent tree, which has all these birds, which give her gifts. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, am I remembering it correctly that the birds like initially poke out one eye from each yeah. each yeah. sister, yes. and then like at the end, for good measure, pokes out the yeah. other one? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they have to be blind for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and yeah. that was something that I was like, I mean, I, I guess a lot of things don't age well, but I was like, <laughs> sort of this like I don't know this like ableism thing of like, oh, like their punishment was that they're just going to be blind forever, and I'm like, sure, but you know, you know. Some people are just blind, you know. Like it's just, yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's just like, fine. right? Like yeah, it's that's just, a good just, point, right? So I was kind of like interesting, um, but yeah, they that's that is what the birds did. They were like, oh yeah, let's yeah. actually let's actually do a do a two for one situation. Um, one of these sisters was missing a big toe, and the other one was missing right. her heels. They so like they have... already have plenty of punishment. Like, so know, much. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, this is just too much. 
I would say I did enjoy that Cinderella was leaping into trees on a regular basis in this Oh yeah. Like she was like yeah. she ran out of the boat and leapt into a tree. I was like, yeah, all right, bet. Like, okay, Cinderella. Like. Also, can we can we can we talk about that real quick? Because yeah, so in this one, the ball was three days, and yeah, like yeah. you said, like afterwards, like she would run. So I don't think that there was like a like a weird midnight rule. I think she was just like, oh, I'm kind of tired. I'm just gonna like dip. Um, well, he kept trying so to see her house. F- he kept trying to be like, I want to meet your family. This also shows up in the Brandy Cinderella. And she this was like, true. And no. <laughs> right. Yeah. She was like, you actually shall not. Um, and so on the first day, <laughs> she like went into this like cottage, I guess. And then like her her dad like chopped it down with an axe, but she like wasn't inside because she had like escaped to the original house. And then the other one, like the next time she was like in a tree and he like cut that down, but she like got out of the tree just in time. And I'm like, why are you so violently pursuing? Like, <laughs> yeah. And if Cinderella was in the tree, in the tree we're just going to like, right. she's going to just chop it down. Like, <laughs> what, the, what the fuck? <laughs> like, oh my god! I was like, this is like actually really aggressive. This is like aggressive for actually no reason. Like, please relax. Yeah, because like, like, the dad kept being like, "Could it be Cinderella in the tree?" And you're like, "Yeah, okay, then maybe yell out her name and or get I don't Hello? know a lantern or something. Don't cut <laughs> down the tree. You cut down the whole tree. Like, sis, relax. Yeah. My God. Um. Oh my God. Yeah, I literally was reading that and I was like, it kind of broke the fantasy a little bit. I was like, okay, so we, we just chopping down trees that your daughter might be in like that's just okay whatever anyway so. i did think it was interesting the, the prince had a little bit i mean he still was like not paying that much attention because like there were bloody feet and he was like just riding on his horse and like the birds had to be like can you just check the feet real- can you just like, you? <laughs> clock the feet real quick twice <laughs> twice yeah, those, like- those birds tattling right like i see blood it's true each time <laughs> <laughs> could you um, could you how pissed would you be as the steps would be like oh my god i'm on the horse i'm on my way right out. yes this is my prince <laughs> yes and then the birds are like oh like look at the toes I, I would oh my god i'm like i would have to run after them birds or like something <laughs> i been like y'all gotta go it's true i thought it was really interesting the the like rhyming sort of uh yeah uh recurring verse kind of thing that was going on in the in the grim's uh grim brothers story here you know kind of repetitive for today's day and age but i i kind of you know i got what it was going for i thought it was cool and uh but yeah hearing the birds like constantly singing and then the last time saying like there's no blood it's, the, yeah. it's really the really the uh you know the chosen one or whatever mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um, the bird much. sign off they, feel- the Brothers Grimm, I think, love the construction of having things happen three times. I remember that with mm. uh, with, with uh, Snow White when we covered their version of that. I think a lot of stuff happens three times, and then the third time is where the change comes. Mm. I think they got really they got really uh, obsessed with this version of storytelling, so I felt like they were introducing it into every story in ways that maybe it wasn't originally there. But I think that's why we have three nights of ball, why we have the, the rhyme recurse three times, mm. things like that, right? It's interesting to think how the Grimm brothers and I guess the other guy too changed the stories because these stories are oral traditions for so long. Mm-hmm. You forget that, oh yeah, they added things to make for a certain time period to make a certain appeal or to get a certain message across, be it some type of morality or otherwise. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And now it's just stuck with us for so long. Hmm. Yeah. The prince literally like spilled oil on the ground to get the shooter stick. I was oh, very yeah. impressed. I was like, okay, this makes sense. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. It, it it gave him some more agency, which I, and also yeah. I'm like this prince is like a little fuddy duddy. Like, <laughs> it's a little funny laugh. though. It's like it's like the 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 princess keeps running away every night, so I'm gonna like cover the stairs in right. pitch to trap her shoe, <laughs> which could have gone horribly, by the way. Like if she had <laughs> slipped, oh god. That's and you know that's what I thought was gonna happen. I I was like, this is a Grim Brothers story. Uh, as and as I was reading that sentence, it's like. Uh, 
it's like and then the prince puts oil on the ground or whatever and i was like holy shit is he gonna like <laughs> like is there gonna be some horrific accident where she like slips down the staircase or something just so that he can catch her um but luckily that's not what happened yeah that would, yeah. Yeah, would have been too much <laughs> all right so let's talk about the rogers and hammerstein cinderella movie uh james do you want to tell us a little bit about this movie sure yeah i i know probably everyone's familiar with the the disney animated version but mm-hmm. this is the version that we're talking about it's like you said the rogers and hammerstein version they are um historically like really well established musical theater directors basically and so like this is a broad i believe broadway play that they had put on and um this is the second remake and third version of this musical, which originally aired on television in 1957. Huh. Wow. Hmm. And then this one was co-produced by Whitney Houston, who also appears as the fairy godmother and also also features a racially diverse cast consisting of Jason Alexander, Whoopi Goldberg, Bernadette Peters, Vianne Cox, Natalie DeSalle, Victor Garber, and Paula Montalban. We, talked, we touched on it a little bit, but something that I really thought was especially for this time I, I thought it was really refreshing to see race not be something that they were very specifically concerned with because like it, it makes sense for a story like this as as Akko said earlier mm-hmm. the the idea that like it's a fantasy story and and that, like it shouldn't matter I just think you know for for 1997 this has got to be one of the only you know productions of something like this that was that was going on uh and it actually did really, really well. Um, it proved a major rating success, originally aired to 60 million viewers and established itself as the most watched television musical in decades, wow. earning ABC its highest Sunday night ratings in 10 years. Also, the episode won an Emmy Award for Outstanding what? Art Direction for a Variety or Music Program. That's amazing. The other thing that I found in my research is that with a production budget of $12 million, this ranks among the most expensive television film ever made. Oh, wow. Fair. <laughs> yeah. 12 million. I heard that like Whoopi Goldberg's um like jewels like for her outfit were actually like like at first they were going to be fake but then she was like no 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 like give me some real jewels. Hey, it, yeah. like, it was like a whole production. She's like let me stunt on these kids. <laughs> right. I think they did return the jewels at the end but they were like yeah make sure on set that like do not do not mess up these jewels because these I mean are she is a queen. Expensive. She said like Right, she was like, Method I actually acting. will be decked. Right, so. <laughs> um, I guess that disproves the notion that like race doesn't sell, right? Which is so annoying. So it's 1997. Yeah. We've disproved mm-hmm. this notion. And yet for like the next 10 to 20 years, we just like consistently lied about that and like kept being awful about it. Yeah. Right. have to continue to, to disprove it over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's 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 kind of interesting because even in the movie, it's like, you know, race isn't really like a thematic point in the movie itself. But like behind this, you know, when they were actually making the movie, it was like very much like they were super intentional between the, you know, the producers and the whole process. Um, mm. And I want to say when I was looking into I was reading this like um, it was like an oral history. And I think it was like Shondaland.com that like kind of. Yes, you're brought right. Together, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that brought together like a bunch of the producers and the actors who were like in the in the movie. And they were talking about how throughout like at first the movie was going to be on CBS, but then it moved to Disney. And one of the, I guess, Disney producers was like, oh, I feel like we should have like a white Cinderella because like, I mean, it, it's like a black fairy godmother and a black cinderella like oh like i'm nervous and i was just and they were like mm. no like we're never we're <laughs> we're not do they were like we will never yeah. do that and so, that's awesome and so yeah. yeah they were very very intentional as far as like the casting and it's funny even too because um i want to say so the princess character paolo montalban like 
he was like, I want to say like Tay Diggs, like Mark Anthony, like all these different <laughs> people like auditioned. And he was like the literal last person on the last day Ooh. in the last hour was late to the audition and like <laughs> wow. slayed. And they were like, oh yeah. Wow. Like he opened his mouth to sing and they're like, we got him. He's here. He has arrived. <laughs> like, wow. he, was, so, he was good too. So good. Yeah, he was. Filipino American, by the way, my, my wife pointed out, she's uh, half Filipino, half Turkish. And she, she was uh, happy to see yeah. that. He, uh, I read that it was his movie debut and only starring role. Mm. That's upsetting to me in a sense that I feel like his career should have like continued. Yeah. So I mean, I, I felt like he was a presence on screen. Like he's yeah. a good looking guy and and like he like you said, the performance was good. I, I, I just yeah, I was really surprised to see that was his only starring role. It's true. He had an infectious sort of positivity to him, I think, that really fit this movie. Because again, like it was comforting to me watching it. Um and in it felt like everybody was on board for this. Like Jason yeah. Alexander looked yeah. like he was having a hell of a time, like just so hamming it up in the background, just <laughs> yes. being a goofball. Um, just everybody was having so much fun with this. It seemed like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Whoopi, yeah, the 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 king and queen role it was so funny <laughs> yeah. to me because they're like, they're like telling telling their son what to do, but at the same time they're like they're like, I mean, he's just a great kid, and they're like they're everybody's having a great time. Right. Um, yeah. One of the. Uh, but I, I, to go back to like the producers and everybody involved, uh, I love how involved Whitney Houston was with this because I, mm. I think coming off the su- success of some other Broadway related, you know, theater performing arts sort of stuff, uh, she was able to sort of leverage and say like, this is what I would like to do. I would mm. like to have like a black mm. version of Cinderella. I would like to have this story be like inherently like like across the board have a lot of a lot of black actors. And and for her to say like, you know, pick up pick Brandy, who is like, you know, massive singer and herself who's obviously like iconic and and like one of the greatest singers ever to to just like use that star power to to make something like this like you said in 1997 it's like i don't know it's it's extremely noteworthy and i'm surprised that from the success of this there weren't more similar things being done you know right yeah yeah and even that it's like i mean we were talking about how well akko and i were talking about how like it's not like on disney plus or anything yep. and like yeah. there's no real reason like everyone's like why is this not on disney even plus? brandy like, was like why isn't it on disney plus yeah like really? so yeah and and it's interesting that i i didn't know like what the initial ratings were and like how success but like i mean i figured it was successful but that's like incri- like literally there's no re- like what like how is this it has an emmy right like yeah what oh my gosh but it was like critically critically i think it did pretty well like as far as viewership it's massive it won an emmy it i'm sure it didn't lose money with that kind of viewership like i, I just it makes really no sense right i ended up watching it on youtube i was surprised to see the entire Same. movie was up there um i, I don't know if like legality how that works but it seems like they're okay with it because it's been up for years and, and they haven't taken it down um so if, if the listener hasn't seen it and they want to check it out you can go to youtube and watch it for free well the one thing currently. you you do have to do though and this is to your legality point the song impossible which is the famous song from the movie is cut from is that what it is because i noticed a cut in yep. the middle yeah and i was wondering what it was so you're telling me there's like a, a famous song in there oh yeah. i'm bummed I, I watched that version now no we That's all did and so the only reason i knew is because i watched it as a kid and we watched we had uh-huh. a, like a group watch party and so three of us <laughs> were like hold on <laughs> hold on <laughs> a famous song is missing <laughs> and so we made marcy wow. watch the clip after it so if you guys have it it's called impossible it's whitney's like that's the the key song of the movie uh, oh okay but um that's crazy. i'll have to check that out yeah i had no idea wow 
But that's what's so painful about the fact that it's not on a streaming, like, you know, you can't get like the HD quality and you can't have the mm-hmm. song in there because they probably mm-hmm. took it out because it's, it's going to be copyright infringement and Whitney's like uh, estate is most likely going to take, you know, call for the, to be taken off. But it's sad because if it's off YouTube, where are you going to get it? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah, even on Amazon, um, we noticed that you can only get it on DVD. Like there's no like yeah. digital version. So I'm just like... It's Someone needs to like. What are we doing? Like yeah. this needs yeah. to, like, because I I feel like in the way that we're the direction that we're going, I'm like this is going to get lost in the fold if mm-hmm. you know we're not intentional about keeping the story alive. So there's also something to be said for the fact that like I think audiences are more are becoming. So like Luke, for instance, is somebody who's who's said like, and I think it's due to exposure, right? I think you 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 know I don't think you've watched a ton of musicals, right? And that's part of the reason nope, why that's accurate. And I think as audiences are seeing more musicals on like like Hamilton being on Disney Plus or something mm-hmm. like, like I think I think mm-hmm. musicals are more in the zeitgeist right now. And so if you know if this did go on a platform like like Disney Plus, like Whitney Houston and Brandy are gonna put you know are gonna have people stream that like it's gonna yeah. be seen a lot right. so it just it would make sense to to pursue it in terms of like you know if disney plus you know executives were like why should we do this that like that's the reason right. you know like it, it's gonna yeah. do well right now like this is the kind of thing that would perform well right now Absolutely. but also you have like cinderella 3 i don't know uh, the straight to video <laughs> version on this, like when we're talking about what's successful like come on i don't know Sometimes. yeah they got a lot of stuff on there that yeah. i assume nobody is watching like, right. no one, right. like the movie itself ain't even watching the movie like no one no one cares <laughs> inside they're actually just opening up their script and doing table reads <laughs> <laughs> So I, I want to ask because the, the I think one of the I, I was I was trying to process my reasoning for like why I often bounce off of musicals and I, and I think it's because I never really understood and still struggle a little bit with like how the singing is supposed to fit into the story mm. like and, and, and I realized watching this one that it's kind of like a meta thing like it's not really happening in the story it's like more for the audience like it's it's uh, because often like they're singing about things that are happening or like that opening number with uh uh, the prince and the princess who are are singing to each other but they don't Mm -hmm. know it um it's kind of operating on a level that's like outside the story yet commenting on the story itself and Mm -hmm. i had to sort of like contextualize it in that way so i could understand because i i I always felt like why is no one mentioning the fact that everyone is singing and dancing right now this is weird (laughs) like i know it sounds silly but like on some yeah. level, I was I was kind of having like friction with that. I think it's sort of like a magical realism thing too, right? Like it's like almost the internal thoughts and internal things that are going right. through the character's mind are like you know outwardly being shown, and then the over the top performance aspect in some cases it, it makes sense because it's like that's what goes on in your head. Like th- these are things that that would happen in your head. So that's yeah. what it's always been for me, at least. Yeah, I, I agree. I was just about to say, yeah, the magical realism piece is is huge, but I think. Also, I mean, I've always seen the singing part as like, like an aside or maybe even like a, like a monologue or something like that, like that you would see like on a, like on a stage. Um, It's just kind of like, okay, it's happening to like ground the audience, but it's not necessarily like a thing that everyone else is responding to. But even then, I mean, it's, it's a little unclear because it's like, especially with like, you know, when that one song, for example, like the king is giving a ball, like the entire (laughs) town was in that number dancing. It's like just so jubilant. So I'm like, so I guess everyone's in on this. Like everyone, this just everyone's thought, like everyone's this excited. So yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I always, I always thought it was more like, um, 
the medium you know like in an oral story you repeat things because it's it's the form and and because mm-hmm. it's you know it's oral so you have to say it again so people can remember in the same way a musical is like a form you I mean like a film you have cutaways because that's the medium of film and so mm-hmm. for musicals the singing is the musical is part of the form <laughs> so it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, integral kind of like the grecian chorus is it the roman no i think it's a grecian chorus right like no one's mm-hmm. ever like why is this chorus here like what are these kids doing <laughs> like, they're giving a lot of exposition but it's like and it is it doesn't make any sense but um yeah it's just another form of storytelling i suppose and um yeah i thought of it that way yeah and and it's fun when they kind of play with that too, right? Yes. Like, like you're saying, like you you get to the expectation of like no one's going to react to this, but then maybe they do one time, and right. it's like oh, you know, so you can play with the form a little bit. And Which I, I think do. I was starting to come around a little bit. Like I mean, I just need to watch more musicals. Probably that's probably the solution to this problem. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> it's funny you say that because th- that did actually happen. Like you know, when Brandy went to the ball and came back, and like you know, she was singing with her stepsisters. Like that's when her stepmother yeah. realized, oh, that was you. At the ball, yeah. and I'm like, so right. Brandy had it burst into song. Like she probably <laughs> would have been fine. <laughs> so yeah, it, it is. It's like this thing that's there, but also not. It's so yeah. But I just, uh, I just love the magic of musicals. I just find them so just, uh, just so fun. So. And I also, I feel like I don't know. Like, um, there's so many art forms you can put in it. You can put in tap. You can put in ballet. You can put in jazz. Mm-hmm. Like so many skills can. I don't know. It's a spectacle in a way, right? Like before there's mm-hmm. film, yeah. it's a spectacle and. Yeah, and a different spectacle than film. I remember the the ball scene when the prince and Brandy are dancing. First of all, I was super impressed, but also there's like <laughs> no cutaway, and that's the that's what's great about theatrical productions is like mm-hmm. these huge stage performances in which everyone has to be on time and everyone has to like show up to the scene. It's it's I don't know. There's an ode to like the human experience and human the human body and its ability to do theatrical feats that is impressive. Yeah. Mm. And, and not to mention like level of difficulty right like yeah. it's it's just like impressive to see that many humans in like in sync, in sync. yeah mm-hmm. there's something mm-hmm. beautiful about it one of the things i think that helped me with this too is there was a there was a stylistic approach to this to all the scenes all the settings where it felt a little bit like um surreal right like everything was yeah. a little bit distorted almost it, it almost reminded me of like dr seuss which we've covered one time not yeah. quite as extreme as that but like everything was sort of rounded the colors were where it was like bright purple bright blue bright red like everything was very very intense mm-hmm. and even at times i could see that like something was a was a like a painted background um and that mm-hmm. didn't take me out of it because it all felt like it was a part of the fact that this is clearly sort of a stage production and mm-hmm. and it felt consistent throughout and because of that i didn't expect it to be hyper real mm-hmm. um and that yeah. helped me that helped me get in with the musical elements of it so i noticed that as well and i think that like for me, it was interesting because I'm like, you look at the entire kingdom, like it looks like super bright, super colorful. And like, it's, it looks like people are pretty, like happy. doing pretty well, you know, pretty mm. happy, doing well. Like you don't see a lot of like open suffering. And then you look at Cinderella and you're like, wait, what? Like, how are you like the <laughs> one right. person that's like suffering? That So I feel like it really highlights like her station and like the injustice of like what she's going through in a way that's really interesting when it's like mm. everyone is doing super well and she's like aggressively not. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Something that I, from both of the stories and then into the movie that I literally had no idea of, and I feel like I've seen the original Disney animated film 
multiple, multiple times, and I'm pretty familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize that Cinderella comes from the fact that like s- that the character has to like sleep next to the fire and is like covered in ashes and stuff. Like I had no mm-hmm. idea that that was like the 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 be- like basis of her name. Same. Yeah, I learned this very recently um, <laughs> from from another podcast. Because <laughs> yeah, I, before <laughs> that, and this is maybe what like two or three weeks ago. Like before that, I was like, oh yeah, they just named her Cinderella. Like that's just. Yeah, yeah, but I'm like that. And then didn't they call her like Cinder Winch or something like they that? They did. Yeah. Yeah. And that was in the Mother Goose version, I think. Actually, that name. Yeah. Ooh. And then the other stepsister was like, "That's mean. I'll just call you Cinderella." And I'm like, "You're still <laughs> being rude. I'm like that's still rude. <laughs> <laughs> what? How is this nice?" <laughs> I was I was gonna say um I was expecting because I had mistakenly thought that Cinderella had been mutilated and that's why the foot her foot fit mm. in the glass slipper differently than everyone else's that is not the case and so <laughs> i'm still after reading these through watching this version and reading these two versions i'm like wait why does cinderella's foot differ from the other feet in this town like right no one else has the same foot size. it is funny how her foot size is so unique right. <laughs> that not a single foot in an entire <laughs> town will fit into the shoe exactly like what <laughs> they made that very clear in the uh film version the entire town shows up and they're they're showing all of their feet go in and out and and all of that and i was like damn like she's very specifically sized feet and right. like, no one else is even close right uh, but like other elements are, are explained like you know the fairy godmother came like i put it you know even if it doesn't make sense sense like at least give like you know the godmother is comma a fairy okay great right. but like <laughs> <laughs> with the, the glass shoe like they're like that's fine we don't need any nothing nothing at all like they're not even like the godmother made a special shoe just for her that would change right. that not that. I was just, like, all right. <laughs> I was like, what were Cinderella's like arches looking like? Like how <laughs> how unique are her feet? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> oh my gosh, it was like actually uh, <laughs> So one of the changes in the film that I also really enjoyed was uh, uh Paolo Montalban, uh who who played the prince, um he also starts out the movie sort of in disguise himself mm. as as mm-hmm. a commoner, I guess. Um and it gives him and that character um, an arc throughout the story, whereas that is not present really in the in the other versions, right? And it's um, him sort of p- pressing back against expectations from his parents, um, and then also wanting to you know seek out love versus the the sort of arranged marriages that you had at the time. So in some mm-hmm. ways, it's like it's kind of an old fashioned story, but seeing this actor in this role made it feel fresh. Mm. Also, it allowed for them to have chemistry before the ball, like. They met, yes. they had a conversation. It was only one, but they did have a conversation um, <laughs> before the ball. And so when they, and it, their their charm and their chemistry on screen, when I was watching, I was like, oh, these two seem very like charming together. You know, there's some chemistry there. So, and then the song that they're singing during the ball, when she's like, do I love you because you're lovely or do are you lovely because I love you and vice versa. I was like, oh, this is actually a complex question. They're like, yeah. are these feelings mm-hmm. we have just, you know, tertiary and like random or are these real deep feelings i was like oh man Mm. like you guys are really mature asking you know some hard questions right in song form yeah (laughs) yeah and i i like their dynamic too because even at the you know before they even went to the ball i remember um when they were like at the beginning of the movie when they were just like chatting um i think like the prince says something like oh you know like every 
man to like, you know, treat his lady like a princess. And then like, you know, Cinderella was like, no, like, like a person with kindness and respect. <laughs> and I'm like, this movie is just, just these little gems are just yeah. like, just like, just speckled throughout. Like, I mean, Whitney Houston's character, you know, like the godmother being like, um, you know, we spend so much time wishing to do something rather yep. than like actually just doing it. I was like, there are just so many like little like insights that yeah. just like woven throughout that I'm like, this is actually... I mean, yes, it's like very much, yeah, for a younger audience and all of that. But I can imagine, you know, watching as a young person, it's like this is this is really inspiring and really motivational in a lot of ways that I'm like, this, true. Is, this is dope. Also, she was leaving at the end without the prince. Like if when the prince, like regardless yeah. of the prince was going to show up, she was going to leave and live her life. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and and th- so there's another moment where he says something about her not being like other girls and I love the reaction <laughs> that Brandy had. She was like, <laughs> what do you mean? And then he's like, right. oh no, sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. And then she has this look <laughs> on her face like, god, whatever. Uh, which I thought oh, was just gosh. a perfect reaction to that comment. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, just so subversive in all these different ways. I just, mm. yeah. Mm. Oh, and and uh, both of them being sort of in their, you know, co- being commoners puts them on level playing field and it strips away all the like uh, the, the wealth that is associated with being finely dressed later on in the ball. So mm. to show that like their their affection for each other starts first just as people without all these other trappings. And so you can sort of embrace all the other trappings as being just like fun and beautiful right. and not saying like, well, that's the only reason the prince cared is because she wore right. the fine dress and had the hair made up and all that stuff. Well, and, and other, other versions of the story besides this movie also i think i I was dealing with the problem of like all of this is just to get the prince like all of this is to impress the prince to to be mm. you know what the man wants you to be or whatever and this this felt like there was there was a little bit of that but there was also like the subversion of clearly like they're in love and it's not sort of like a i found the yeah. right you know immediately i found the right person nothing else matters i guess <laughs> it, it's it seemed like there was it seemed like there was more thought put into it and i do appreciate the the you know this musical film version for the fact that they are like threading in those nuances that i think you know kids can pick up on and yeah. will realize yeah. like this is more this is smarter than than maybe your average um musical that's right. true also there's a parallel because he dresses down as a commoner and then she dresses up and so it's almost mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. kind of like grease you know yeah. at the end oh. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the prince coming into the like the village and everything also kind of gave me like Jasmine from Aladdin vibes where Ooh. like you know like she she addresses as a commoner to like interact with the, the the people in the city and then you know I think she meets Aladdin and I can't remember I think they have an interaction and then that would lead into eventually when you know Aladdin gets all dressed up and comes to the to the uh, palace or whatever they mm. then have those interactions and she thinks he's a prince and all that kind of stuff. Wow, is is, is Aladdin like a reverse Cinderella? I think so. It is, isn't it? I yeah. would say so. Huh. Yeah, because he gets his fairy godmother as the genie, right? Yeah. Essentially. Huh. Wow. There is a blog post to be written. <laughs> Never looked at it like that. I also haven't seen Aladdin in like 500 yeah. years. So like, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, like I need to refresh a little bit. <laughs> there was a lot of really funny moments in this movie um, that, that kept winning me over, um, you know, from, from the sort of the corset scene, which I think is a lot of versions of this. Um, and, and a few scenes with the stepsisters, honestly, where I, I started out being like, oh, they're, they're going to be sort of the, um, cliche, like evil stepsisters, but then they won me over. And by the Same. end, I really liked the stepsisters. <laughs> like their song about like, why, you know, why do they have to love a certain kind of woman and stuff at the end about the prince? Like, 
I don't know. There was a lot of stuff. It ended up being the stepmother who I had, you know, I, I disliked more. But the stepsisters were actually pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did think the stepmother was a great villain in, in like her yeah. subtle emotional manipulation, which I don't think I picked up as on as much as a kid. But watching it now, I was like, yeesh, she is yeah. <laughs> brilliant in her manipulative tactics. And I think the actress is a Broadway musical actress as well. But she played the hell out of that role. I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. this is great. I think I read that uh, Bernadette Peters, who plays the stepmother, and Victor Garber are like, yeah, Broadway veterans that that um, basically both were Tony Award winning uh, performers, also or or have yeah, since been. That makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely I, I agree with with like Bernadette Peters' performance. It it was a uh, she you know she was also one of those characters that was like clearly having a lot of fun, like yeah. one of the actors that was having a lot of fun, like really digging yeah. into like this this villain role to the extreme um one of my favorite moments is the they're all blocking the door as the prince is like is there any other women in the house <laughs> <laughs> they're all like standing in front of the door i love that scene Just, and that's the thing it's like i i agree i think the you know the stepmother i was like okay oh yikes you are really doing a lot but um i don't know just like there was something, even if, if not necessarily likable, I guess a little charming yeah. about all of them that I was like, y'all are just so damn charming and like silly. And it's just, yeah. It, huh, yeah. It was just, yeah. The stepsisters, I was like, they were just so like fun and ridiculous. And also like when they were at the ball and like dancing with the <laughs> prince yeah. and doing the absolute most, most <laughs> actually weak. Like I was like, y'all are at, like, one of the stepsisters was like, I had this like impeccable oh. laugh that's just so contagious. And it was just like actually too much. And like this stepmother was like, yeah, so don't ever in your life do that ever <laughs> um, because it's not going to win you any prizes. So. The itching and the and the laughing, like, uh, like to give them those characteristics was really funny to me. It was just so ridiculous. I was like, so y'all are over here acting like this and y'all judge Cinderella? Like I'm like I'm gonna need y'all to pull up a mirror because what are y'all doing all of the time? Oh, to mention it, I actually really did like the the uh, Cinderella's like sort of like solo performance where she's talking about her own little corner. In uh, I thought Mm. that was probably my favorite, probably my favorite song and like my favorite scene where she's sort of talking about all of the adventures that she goes on and from her own little corner and how like it's safe but and yet like there's a, you can tell there's other things she wants out of life and like safety mm-hmm. is well, sad too like it's tragic right. yeah 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 and it's interesting because yeah. whitney when she's singing that then i guess the godmother um is singing at the end she's like now you can go wherever you want to go now you can do whatever it's almost like she was like i kind of did this so you can live whatever life you want to live it's sad that marriage has to be how that happens, but I did like yeah. the idea that it's like, no, this is so that you can do whatever it is you want. And I was like, oh, that's so dream fulfilling. I don't know. It's, yeah. 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 There, mm. it, th- there was a moment where the prince says something about, um, or she says something about like, oh, you, you know, should be a servant to you. And he's like, I have servants. I want someone to talk to. So they were very like straightforward, like, not that I want someone to talk to. I want someone who's intelligent, who's a person. Um, and, you know, that was refreshing to see in this story. It's true. Also, the prince's family, like, I feel like they actually all, it was very healthy. Like, I mean, besides the fact that they want him to get married, it's whatever, fine. My parents do that. They're immigrants. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I don't know. It was just charming to see their dynamics. Like, when, um, Whoopi was like, what's he saying? And then he, like, she, like, turns to her husband. She's like, what's he saying? (laughs) (laughs) This is so comical. Like, yeah, the movie's charming. I think you're right, Luke. It, yeah. It's it's warm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was one moment that um, 
for me, it, it felt like they were um, going beyond what was what was necessarily in the fiction. Um, because you're right, it felt like in this world, racism doesn't exist. And and in fact, like people can be from multiple ethnicities within the same family. That's fine. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like we're not going to comment on it. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and there was one moment where the stepmother tells Brandy, tells Cinderella to stay in her place. And I thought that particular moment where the stepmother was like up on the balcony too and like looking yeah. down at her and telling her to stay in her place, it that felt like it went beyond that a little bit and was saying something about her being white and her being black mm. to me. Yeah. That's the thing that I feel like I, I definitely felt that tension as well watching it where it was like, and, and funny enough, actually, for the role of the stepmother, they actually had a really hard time casting it for that very reason because they were like, mm. it's going to optically, it looks weird to have like a white stepmother that's like looking down and, you know, casting all this judgment on a black Cinderella. And so, mm. like, in, in the casting process, they were like, yeah, optically, this doesn't look great. Because it's like, it's like you create this fantasy world, but at the same time, it's like, I mean, we're in the role we're watching this. So this scene is right. going to hit completely different. So, yeah. But then um, the come up is even better in a way. True. Like, I don't know. For if you're It adds weight to it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't know. Sometimes when you're a black girl in, in the world... There is no godmother. Shocker, spoiler. But um, so to have it happen in the in the movie, it does feel, yeah. There's almost there's a weightierness to it that is almost. I'm kind of, if that's the only thing that's realistic about the movie, I kind of I'm fine with it being there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, there was another song. There was a song too where there it was about like the music is in you, and then I think multiple times the godmother says like you know it, I just got you to the ball. You're the one who did mm-hmm. everything else once you got there. So there yeah. was a lot of sort of empowerment being pushed at Brandy and saying like this isn't something that I'm doing for you. You're doing this for yourself. For yourself. Mm-hmm. God, yeah. you guys need to watch listen to the song. Like it's so good. I know. I, we're going to. No, yeah, I really once, want to. Once now. We're... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The, I did want to go back because I, I made a mistake earlier. I was going through my notes. Um, I said Bernadette Peters and Victor Garber were Tony Award winners. Um, Bernadette Peters is Victor Garber. But what I what I was remembering was both of them were, they later starred in a revival of Hello, Dolly on Broadway together. Oh. Um, Tony Award winners from this film, there are actually three. Bernadette Peters, uh, she won in 1986 and 1999. Whoopi Goldberg in 2002, mm. and Jason Alexander in 1989. So Ooh. I just wanted to. So three Tony performers in this movie. Wow, there you go. Just a hell of a cast. My Facts. God. oh my god, like <laughs> just the talent. <laughs> yeah. How about that pumpkin transforming scene? That that <laughs> that was really something. <laughs> Those graphics were uh, <laughs> very, very much very, very 90s. 90s. Hey, so they 90s. were they were cutting edge. All right, that's what we'll call them. They were cutting edge at Absolutely. The also i love th- so funny enough actually so <laughs> i noticed this both in the movie and i think it was in the 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 1600s version of cinderella like they had these rats that became men and i'm like yeah. i feel like y'all are doing something with that like is this like a low-key yeah. men's trash message like what are we doing here she's like, like oh these rats like, or, or just, like classism just- like oh they're just they're just drivers you know like oh. they're not they could just be pe- they could just be animals it's interchangeable oh, okay well never mind. also okay, is there like interpretation. maybe i don't know <laughs> is there like um there's a fan fiction somewhere where this like rat is a human and like wants to be a human forever and like runs off or something i was like what happened Oh, that's cool. You know what? No, there isn't a fan. I'm just saying, like, well, there, wh- there's gonna be now. You know? <laughs> oh, there should be. Yeah, because I'm that just like, interesting. I'd read that story. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, you're a human for like five minutes? You're like, oh, posable thumbs, and then all of a sudden you're a rat again. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
consciousness. Oh, what happened? Right. <laughs> what did what became the the horses? I'm forget. Was it also mice became horses and then also became drivers so. or something like that? I think or, mice or became lizards. horses and there then were the lizards. rats become. Yeah, it depends on the version. I think there was, yeah. it was different animals in different versions. Okay. Yeah, like it was. Yeah, the lizards became. I don't. They were. They also became people, but I forgot what their like. They might be like job pe- was. They opened doors. Lizard people, yeah. like like Illuminati lizard people. Yeah. Right? Oh, like, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's all connected. And guys. then the rats became the folks who like steered the horses, and then yeah, mice became the the horses or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I again, I think it's it feels classist to me. It's like if mm. if you're this like working class, you, you could just be interchangeable with animals, mm. um, which is unfortunate, but. Uh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, we never um, said it was a perfect story. That's for sure. Yeah, no, yeah, certainly on. not. Uh, I mean, it, it's one. It's so old that there's going to be lots of troubling stuff in there. It just, and I do like that this movie takes something that has so much and and, and brings it to like a modern era. And and it honestly, feels like the most modern version I've seen. Now I'm no expert, and I know there's a million versions of this movie, mm-hmm. um, but this feels a lot more modern than than certainly the Walt Disney version did. Right. I honestly can't even remember the Walt Disney version, like the animated version. Like I, mm-hmm. I feel like my brain just deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, mm, delete. Needed <laughs> space. Delete. Right. Uh, this feels like a claiming too of of like typically like these these fairy tales weren't seeded with like black lead casts and everything like that. So this feels like yeah. a like a flag being placed, and I think it's like an important one that yeah. unfortunately I think is it has been seemingly forgotten as far as streaming services are concerned like it was really difficult to find this and i think you know maybe if this podcast is gonna do anything just get a couple people to watch it and raise awareness on it i'd be happy with that yeah uh, yes absolutely also she has braids like she has braids and um Mm -hmm. whoopi has natural hair and they're actually both dark skinned i don't know like these are things that even right now we're having trouble with um absolutely so it's yeah yeah, watch this movie, y'all. It's just, yeah. it's just so good. It's just yeah. so what a what a, what a beautiful sort of inclusive world it it shows too, right? Like that's part of what made it so comforting to me too. And it, and I know like there's a lot of discourse about like how to just you know should you include racism in your stories? You know should you not? If you ignore it, is that somehow like uh you know like creating some sort of false fantasy? But for for this one, it worked, right? Like, it, it was part mm-hmm. of the appeal of this mm-hmm. movie. It's like, yes, we can just enjoy a story where racism just isn't a thing. And right. um, there's something really nice about that. Yeah, I think there's room for both. I think there's exactly. r- room to recontextualize racism so people can understand it for what it is. But also, like, it's deeply wonderful to just be in a world where it's like there's these multiracial families and like as a viewer, you just accept it. And I think that that act mm-hmm. of just being able to accept and like you know, empathize with what's visibly on screen or like, you know, in a book or whatever the media might be like, that's just so powerful. And I feel yeah. like that translates into people just being more empathetic in general. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's also, just, it's just, uh, yes. Also, we're saying it's a fantasy, but also as, especially as America changes, like you're going to have mixed, you probably already do like the family constructions mm-hmm. in this aren't wild. Okay. So there's an interracial oh, yeah. couple who adopted a Filipino kid. There we go. Like, you know, it, <laughs> it, it fits mm-hmm. in the real yeah. world, like easily. So in a way, I think there's probably a lot of people who are like, Oh, actually that's just my real family. And so now I'm in this yeah. story and I think right. that's nice. And I like that it wasn't explained. They didn't say like, Oh, we adopted right. you or something. It just like, yeah, that could be the explanation, or maybe that's just how it works right. in this world. We don't know. Yeah. 
So I wanted to get on like, or to t- try and talk about now that we've talked about all these versions, like what is like some of the core, you, you, you touched on it earlier, James, like core morals. What is, what is sort of the, the messaging of Cinderella? Why take Cinderella and make this movie? Um, yeah, I, I'd be curious to know each of your thoughts on like why, why this story and why it works for this movie. Mm. So yeah, it was tough for me reading these stories and, and uh, trying to find sort of the moral ground of like, why, why is this story still remembered? Why is it so affecting to people? And to be honest with you, like I can't really put my finger on it, but I think it has something to do with like a wish fulfillment. And I think like whether it's um, a good thing or a bad thing, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing either. It's just like whether it's a healthy thing to see like like the a lot of these princess stories i feel like can be can show like not a lot of agency for the princess and they're like a prize to be won or something like that and you know that's problematic um but love is a thing so i think like that's why i like to see the recontextualization of like the relationship between the prince and the and cinderella in the story because before it felt like to me it was the moral of the story seemed to be sort of like um, be a better person, be the bigger person and that sort of thing. And I feel like we've seen over time, like being the bigger person doesn't always like fix things or change things or change people as much as we would wish that it would. Um, mm-hmm. And so like it was tough for me to like nail it down. But I would say like the moral before would be like, be the bigger person, good things will happen to you, karmic circle sort of thing. And then and then in the movie, I think it's more seated in like um, everyone deserves like a... a everyone deserves a chance to like like pursue their dreams pursue their wishes especially with like what Whitney Houston's character is saying throughout the throughout the story is like I, I would say like the moral if I'm watching this when I'm young is that like anyone can do anything I think that it there's like a couple of things so on the one hand I think about the fact that a woman in a class of society if you're a lower class we often think about the, the you, there's a complex intersectionality of being both lower class and female here that there's a particular oppression to that and I think there's for a story for a love story in which okay you're not just being like married off to someone to better your status or to like um for your like like (laughs) you could be sold into marrying someone in the past that was just like the person had like an extra goat or something or like your father wanted that <laughs> oh, land God. or it was some political intrigue and it happened all the time right so the idea that like oh and he could be like 30 40 years older than you hell that happens now but like this idea that yeah. like okay your status increased and hey he's cute and hey he's nice and you're like oh god that like, you know i think to be in a lower class and to have that there's i i don't want to knock it too much because for someone that could be very wish fulfilling and especially if it might never happen so there is and for the stories to be so old and that through line to continue I think there is that um underlying I don't know yeah wish fulfillment in it but I actually think differently when you put a black character in the role and when you have I think Whitney Houston was very specific in what she was saying as a black girl in the society a lot of societies you know it is about having to do it yourself and figure and and getting yourself out of trouble and being witty and smart and and for her to be like no your dreams can still come true regardless of this i I, it's kind of similar to the princess and the frog there's like problems with that too but there is this like notion for us it's like sometimes we we do actually just have to work (laughs) to get out ourselves Mm -hmm. out of situations but to have a little help from another black woman who is magical like you know the black the black girl magic phrase doesn't come from nowhere it's you know what i mean it's just almost something that Mm. tries to help us be like you can do it like you can keep going the odds are against you but not 
entirely. Um, so I think the film adds that extra layer to it that I didn't even think about until now that it is different from, to be honest, white, white girls and white women's storylines. Um, that's actually yeah. really refreshing and I don't know, helpful and inspiring. And I yeah. think Whitney did it on purpose. I'm going to give it to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. So one of the things I was picking up on, and honestly, this kind of crystallized me for one in one moment when the stepmother calls Cinderella common. Mm-hmm. And that's when it kind of really spoke to me because that is true sort of in all the stories. Like it's about someone being common and then rising above that station to become uncommon. And the reason they're able to do that is each time is shown that Cinderella has like an inherent quality, right? That like no one can take away from her. Mm-hmm. And when you take that and you put it in this story, it becomes about race too, or a race instead or race in addition to just like maybe your class. Um, and so mm-hmm. even though that the moral is sort of similar, it also takes on like a different, uh, a different added layer of meaning in this film that, that really worked for me. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was like why you choose a Cinderella, right? You can take a story that was more about just being lower class and becoming upper class or, or what have you and make it about race too. Mm. Yeah. So I, I guess for me, um, I mean, I definitely agree with like pretty much what everyone has said, but I, yeah, I think that that theme of the self reimagination is I think why this story just really resonates, I guess, and like has been reproduced as many times as it has. Like, I guess if you try to, I mean, you can't like erase people's identities from the stories, but I think just the idea of like kind of being one way read as one way and like ending up as something that's a lot more advantageous for you, but also just kind of maybe more in line with like how you see yourself. I think that that concept of that, like that transformation, Mm. I feel like is like why that's so well, it just really resonates with people. Um, just being able to like to transform into, like whether that be like you know Cinderella in like a ball gown or into any other version of like it's like a self actualization yeah. narrative that I feel like mm. is why this is so so popular. Um, and just yeah, it just really speaks to a lot of different people. Okay, Marcy, self actualization. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love it. <laughs> Uh, we should also note at the end of this, the fate of the stepsisters and mother seems to be just that they're on the outside looking in. They're kept outside of the gates looking in. They're not punished. They're not, you know, thrown in jail or, or mutilated in any ways. Um, but they're also not given a place in, in the court and mm-hmm. given given standing themselves. So I felt like this was a nice middle ground for like how, how to treat these these people. <laughs> yes, between eyes being plucked out <laughs> yeah, looking them up. But like <laughs> there was a middle ground. You didn't miss the birds? Like I thought the, the birds. <laughs> We're gonna have the final say <laughs> at the end of the movie. Some birds swoop down and pluck out their eyes. Oh god, that would have been a change in time. <laughs> right, yeah. I'd have been like, wow. So this is G-rated up until this literal moment right here. Whitney was very, very firm in her stance. She wanted this to stay in. <laughs> Dead. Uh, all right. So we uh, we this year we have been doing something new on our podcast, and that is choosing between the source and the adaptation, which is better. It feels kind of silly to do it here, <laughs> um, because I mean Cinderella for in like in both ways in some way. It's like it's how do you even compare them? One is like this tale that has been with us throughout all of human history, but then also like this movie is so transformative, and and and, and we've all just been raving about how much we we like the way it is situated in the modern world. So it, it may be sort of a futile exercise, but I'll go I'll go first real quick, then James, and then uh, then you two. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it is the movie. Uh, you know, I have to give it. To to it for all the reasons we just talked about 
Yeah, I mean, uh, just everything that I just said, basically about like recontextualizing everything. And th- I'm taking the movie for those reasons. It it, it just it, it's doing something new with something that everyone's familiar with, and and I think doing a lot of good with it. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I mean, just for Whitney and the nostalgia. Of, um, <laughs> <Whitney>. <laughs> it's the movie. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's actually, you know, the Grimm Brothers. No, <laughs> no, it's the movie, y'all. Like, it, the movie is everything. Like, it's literally just as magical as the themes within it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny is, like, I do, I did love sort of the, the grisly nature of Brothers Grimm. I don't know. I just, it's darkly fascinating to me to read <laughs> those so stories. Aggressive. So aggressive. <laughs> it's so aggressive. <laughs> uh, they are fun to read. I, I recommend it. But yeah, uh, it sounds like we're unanimous then. This is the version of Cinderella and honestly, probably better than the animated version, at least in my opinion. Um, although it's been a long Agreed. time since I've seen it. I'll, I'll grant it to the people out there who probably uh, get mad at me for saying that. Um, this is a great version of Cinderella regardless. Um, thank you both for coming on the podcast. Um, we really had of a fun course. talking to you. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people find your podcast and connect with you online if they wanted to, you know, keep in touch? Of course, of course. So we have a few different modalities. Um, so we have an Instagram at These Colored Pages. Um, pretty much everything that's of ours is These Colored Pages. So our Instagram is at These Colored Pages. Um, our Gmail account is These Colored Pages um, at gmail.com. Our website is These Colored Pages.com. We do have a Twitter that's The Colored Pages. <laughs> we tried to switch it to These Colored Pages, but there's a, there's a character limit so they were like you absolutely mm. cannot and then i was like oh you would have to change like even if you tried to make it these color pages we'd have to like change the spelling so we just kept it the color pages so that's the only one that's different but yeah twitter instagram email um our website um yeah those are pretty much all the all the ways yeah awesome i assume on all major platforms oh oh yeah the actual podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, yeah like it's spotify apple yeah pretty much like anywhere you listen to podcasts yeah color pages book club um is going to be there so yeah perfect well once again thank you so much this was a lot of fun of course yeah. of course thank you so much for having us yeah this is great thanks for coming on so stick around to the very end. We're going to talk about what our next project is going to be. But if you enjoyed this episode and you wanted to support us, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash ink to film. If you wanted to support the podcast in another way that doesn't require any money, uh, please leave a rating and review on whatever podcatcher you use. Uh, it really helps get the word out for the show. And, you know, the more people that see it, the more we're able to do with this podcast. So definitely share it around whenever possible. And connect with us on social media. We are at Ink to Film on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, and join the Council of Inklings on Facebook, where we chat with our listeners there, post polls, post uh, news related to adaptations, all that good stuff. Thank you to Ross Bugton for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, so that's going to be it for this week. But before we go, we're going to announce our next project, and that's going to be The Hunt for Red October, uh, yeah. featuring the late, great Sean Connery. Um, the late Sean Connery. Yeah. That's what we'll say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll get into it. I mean, I, I yeah. think he does have a sort of a, a troubled history, which I'm sure we can touch on. But I think a yeah. lot of people also really enjoy him. Yeah. I mean, massive, massive impact on the cinematic, obviously, landscape for a long time. Absolutely. And uh, it's also a Tom Clancy novel, I believe. So it'll be a first time tackling Tom Clancy. I'm, I'm interested to do some research into him. A huge name and sort of military thrillers, like the name. So it'll be yeah. it'll be interesting to touch on him. I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, by the way. Neither. I don't think I really remember it. Yeah, we'll be curious to see how it holds up, which, by the way, we are going to read the Tom Clancy novel for next week. If you wanted to get get a jump on that um, and then we'll be covering the film the following week. 
But until next time, thanks for listening. Yeah.